Holidays. I agree with you, man. Holidays for me, you don't even have to go away. You just need like two hours without a child in front of your face. That is a holiday for me. And when you're a school principal and you're around kids all day, every day, because you love them, a holiday is just like, okay, let's not have any children time. And so what do my kids do? They bring around all their friends from school. Yeah, so when you live out in Cessnock and you're the principal at Cessnock and all your friend, kids go to your school at Cessnock, there's just kids in our house all the time. It's the, oh, man. Oh, seriously. The secret is to put a lock on the toilet door. That's the secret because then no one can come and bother you. That is, that's just a little bit of just, oh, okay, everyone leave me alone. One of the things I do like to do on holidays, though, and it's interesting because we talk about holidays and all my friends in Sydney used to say, Darren, it's not holidays, man. The only people who are on holidays are school teachers. The rest of us are still working, so stop talking about holidays. And so every 10 weeks I talk about holidays, and I go, no, man, we get four weeks in the entire year. Holidays for us is December. This is not a holiday time, so stop talking about it. And for those of you who are working in industry and not school teachers, probably nodding your head going, too, right, buddy? We haven't had any days off. So, yeah, look at the nods going on right there. So we'll stop talking about holidays. But one thing I do like to do when I have some uh, not-at-work time is uh, I like to watch movies. And one of my all-time favourite movies is Remember the Titans. Anyone here seen that movie? Uh, A few people. Others haven't. Remember the Titans for me. I am a sucker for a feel-good sports movie. Anything that's a sports movie, feel-good one, I'm there, right there. Anything that's going to have some team who's overcoming and conquering, I'm right there with with that movie. Remember the Titans is based on a true story. So it gives it some credibility. It's not just sort of American make-believe. It's a true story about a high school in Virginia set in 1971. And this high school become the first uh, integrated high school in, in the state. And so racial tensions in this school are phenomenal. There is hatred like you can't believe. No one at this school wants this to occur, and yet it's got to occur. The emotions, there's there's protests, there's placards, there's violence. Uh, it is full on. And in amongst all of this, there is a school football team. And their coach, Coach Boone, has been brought in from another school. Yeah, and he is an African-American and he's been put in charge of this school. And so it is full on. And he's just there to win football games. And this guy's job is to win football games. And he is there to unite this football team. Now, most football teams, most sporting teams at school, they've got a hard enough time anyway because they've got egotistical, testosterone-filled teenage boys who think they're all better than the other bloke. They all eat. Who's cooler? Who's in the in crowd? Who's got the hottest girlfriend? Who's the best player on the team? Who's in the rep team? Who's the All-American? Whatever it is. And so most, most teenage boys sporting teams, there's enough sort of stuff and enough energy and friction and tension going on in that place anyway. And then when it's football and some guy hits you just a little bit harder than you expect, you sort of give him one the next time. And before you know it, for those of you who haven't lived this, this is what football training is for, for teenage boys, is that you put a tackle on a guy, he wasn't quite ready, so he gets up and he puts one on you, and then you're into it, yeah? And that's just a training. They're with the guys you actually like and love. They're they're on your own team. So when you put race, racial tensions into this situation, it is just a melting pot for violence. And this guy's job is to unite them. And so he does all sorts of things. When they go away for a camp, at the start of the season, they go away for a pre-season camp. Let's get these guys to like each other. They all get the same training kit. That'll make us like each other. No, it doesn't. Just because they've got the same shirt on does not mean that they are together. 
He separates them on the bus and he makes them sit next to certain people on the bus and says, well, if they've got to sit on a bus for a few hours with each other, that'll make them like each other. No. Then they get to the, at the campsite, they're in the, in the dining hall and stuff, and he tells them where to sit. And if he forces them to be with each other in the same clothes, that'll make it work. No. He is trying everything, this coach, to get these boys to actually like each other. You're on a football team, boys. Just relax and enjoy playing football and nothing is working for this coach. So he gives them an assignment. And the assignment is that they have to pair up between the races and find out about that person, find out about their family, find out what their family does, where they're from, some of their history. And then you have to report back and tell us something that you have learned about one of your fellow players. Well, that just erupts, doesn't it? Because, you know, some guy says, oh, my dad does this or my mum does that. And the other guy goes, oh, you've got a mama, do you? You know who your mama is. And then it's on again. And, and the whole time, these boys are just at each other. They're just at each other. And in the middle of the night, the coach takes them away. In the middle of the night, wakes them up. And he takes them to this field where, uh, Gettysburg, where there's a big war in American history. And, uh, and he says, boys, let's take a lesson and lesson from the dead. Otherwise, we'll end up killing each other and be exactly the same as what went on in that civil war. And so uh, it's a bit of a turning point. And then the next moment, you know, one of the boys, one of the boys, the best player, the captain of the team, he high fives one of his African-American mates and stands up for him. And that just changes the dynamic. And this team goes on to be undefeated and they set all sorts of records. And, uh, and it is a fantastic story about how they overcame the odds, that everything was against them. And yet they were somehow able to find a common cause. They were actually able to get something there that unified them together. And so we have been doing a series from Ephesians about being the church. And today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 16 verses. And... In my Bible, it is entitled Unity and Maturity in the Body of Christ. Unity and Maturity. And I think those two words go together really well. So if you turn there with me or look on the screen, and I do have to apologize, I'll be using a different translation than what's on the screen. So just bear with me. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The very first verse says, to live a life according to our calling. Our calling, every single one of us here has been called. And, uh, and last week was really, really awesome to do the timeline across the back. 
Yeah. And for some of us, we were back in the, I don't know, I don't know what the earliest one was. What was the earliest one? I'm not going to ask you. Noreen? 35. Yeah. Wow. So that was 25. Yeah. So when we looked on that timeline, it was awesome. And then to see the kids at this end and then to see some new people who were writing down 2014 and 2015. Because we made that decision, but we made that decision because God was calling us. God was calling us. God was at work in our life. He was drawing you home. He was calling you home. And that something, something in your spirit went, actually, I need to respond. And you responded to a calling. It was a nudging in your heart. And part of living a life worthy of that calling is now living in that body of Christ. And when we live in relationship, we live in this body of Christ, it's a huge responsibility. There's a verse that says, no greater love has man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That is part of our calling. That as we live for one another, we would lay down our lives for one another. That is a hugely deep level of relationship. And for every one of us, we know that when you live in relationship with someone, you need to, you, you, you limit who you are. There is sort of submission that goes on. For those of us who live in marriage, we know that our life now just isn't about me. It's actually about us. And that curbs some of your behavior and what you do. For me, Friday nights now isn't just going out with my mates every Friday night. Why? Because there's someone else that I need to consider. When I come home, I don't just throw my stuff on the floor. Why? Because there is someone else that I need to consider. So in relationship, you shape who you are. You sacrifice some parts of you and you shape who you are to make that relationship work. And as the body of Christ, we are all called to shape who we are, sacrifice part of who we are, lay down part of who we are, submit part of who we are. Why? So that the body works really, really well together. In that movie, The Titans, they got it. They got it. There was guys there who were facing years of prejudice, years of prejudice. And for them to make that team work, they had to lay that prejudice down. They had to change some of their thinking. They had to change some of their actions, their attitudes, their behaviors. Some of them gave up girlfriends. Their mums and dads and their relationships split apart because their mum and dad couldn't bring themselves to change who they were in that dynamic. And they were still holding on to their racial tension and their racial prejudice. And they didn't want a part of it, even though their kids, their boys, were willing to change who they were slightly. Actually, I'm now about the team. And in being about the part of the team, that means I'm actually going to hang out with these guys over here. And being part of the team, that actually means I'm not going to only eat at white-only restaurants. We'll actually go places where our African-American teammates can go as well. They changed and they sacrificed. They submitted parts of who they were for the benefit of that team. They laid themselves down. In verse 3, it says, make every effort, every effort, not just a good effort, oh, good try, Better luck next time. Not just, oh, on some occasions, look, just oh, do what you can and see how that works out for you. Make every, every effort. Paul is writing this to the Gentiles, yeah? There is years of resentment and history between Gentile and Jew, yeah? They eat this, they wear that, we eat this, we wear that, they do this ritual, we do these rituals. He is not talking just to us who go, oh, we look a little bit different. He is talking to years and years of prejudice here, and he says, make every effort. There is nothing that you shouldn't do to make this work. Every effort of peace. And then he brought he bring them back to. It's not about your rituals. It's not about what you wear. It's not about those years of stuff. This is what we're called to. We are called to one body and one spirit. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Seven one statements. That is what we are called to. Those seven one statements in verses four to six. That is what unites us. 
That is what we are called to. And it doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter what our personality is like. It doesn't matter what our interests are. We are all different. Praise God that we are all different. But there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And that is what we are called to, one faith and one hope. And that's what unites us deeply. When we start to recognize and appreciate each other's differences and gifts, the different giftings that we have there, and Paul listed just some of them there, when we appreciate that each other has a different gifting, when we appreciate the fact that that personality and that strength is awesome because we need that, rather than criticize the part of it that we don't like, we'll just go, oh, geez, that guy's a bit loud, that guy's a bit brash. Actually, God created that guy that way for some reason. And if we can see and we start to see that thing, that's what community is. Community is actually when we deeply love each other and fully appreciate who each other are for what they are. Community, common unity. That's what community means, a common unity. What is our common unity? We celebrated it last weekend at Easter. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what unites us. And we are, when we are united behind our Lord and Savior, the Jesus Christ, there is nothing that should come between us. That is our common unity, the love that is in Jesus Christ. A little while ago, Ellie, my eldest daughter, got invited to a birthday party. And was invited by two girls on the same day at the same birthday party. So Esther and I had a conversation and say, well, are these girls, are they sisters? Are they sisters, twins, just friends that are going to have a joint birthday party? What's going on there? So we're asking Ellie. And, uh, and it comes out that they are sisters. So then I'm asking, well, are they, are they twins? Are they identical twins? Are they identical? Ellie, and she's little at this point. And she goes, no, Dad. God made us how we're meant to be. We're all different. Uh, fantastic. I just asked a simple question. Are they identical, hun? And she gives me this deep spiritual answer that, no, we're all different. God made us how we're meant to be. And, uh, and that's so true. He has made us all unique. He's made us all individual. He's called us to that. And we get to celebrate that with each other. We get to celebrate the fact that we've got incredible musicians. We get to celebrate that there are people who get here hours before everyone else just to set up. We get to appreciate there's people who spend hours during the week making videos. Like, that is awesome. We get to celebrate that there are people who are going to be awake at 2 o'clock in the morning walking the streets to make sure some people are safe. I'll pray for you at 9 o'clock when I go to bed. We are all different, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but we are united. We are united behind the love that is Jesus Christ. And when we can put our hand around our brothers and sisters and say, isn't it awesome that we're a part of the one thing? We're a part of this together. We're in this together, young and old and this one and that one and whatever else it makes it be, teachers and not teachers. Hey? It's a beautiful thing that we're all in this together, and that makes for a fantastic, for a fantastic family. That's what it's about. And Jesus is passionate about this. Man, he is passionate about this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, hours, moments before he was arrested and ultimately executed in John 17. If you've got your Bible, you might just want to turn there. In John 17, he's praying in the garden just before he gets arrested. And this is what he says. John 17, 20 to 23, my prayer. This is for all the believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. 
Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's passionate about this stuff. He prayed for himself. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for the believers. And when he's praying for the believers right there, what's he prayed? He prayed that we may be one as he is one. That's his last prayer before he is arrested and ultimately executed. Not, look, I pray that they're okay. I pray they get successful businesses. I pray that they can run church really, really well and they get a good, you know, whatever it be, Facebook page and good marketing and good, you know, their music isn't too much of a U2 ripoff. That was a very funny quote last week, by the way. That's not his prayer. His prayer is that we may be one. That is his prayer for the church. So 2,000 years ago, that is his prayer right there. Last prayer, because the very next verses, it says, Jesus arrested. So the last words he says is, may they be one as we are one. And when we are united one behind Jesus Christ, man, then, then, then there's a powerful movement. Then it's a powerful movement. And there's something really, really significant and special about being a part of that. And I don't know if you've ever visited somewhere else, but there is something deep that goes on in the spiritual realm when two believers connect with each other. It might be someone you've never met in your life before, and yet somehow you can forge a friendship that just defies the fact that you've never even met each other before. Growing up in the, uh, in the Salvos, we used to go on these... Um, I don't know, what, what do we call them, band camp? No, it wasn't a camp. You used to go to other churches and play your brass instruments because, I don't know, because your band was better than their band. I don't know, that goes against the whole thing of unity, doesn't it? <laughs> but we used to go and do this, yeah? And so as a young kid, you'd get bussed off to some country town, put in a house with someone you'd never met before in your life, talk about child protection. I swear no one filled in a working with children check. But anyway, there's a whole other issue going on there. We end up in this stranger's house. But gee, something special happened there. Something really powerful. When you're in another believer's house and the two of you get to connect over something really deep. And why is that? Because there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord. And when we sit here today, that's what we're about. And gee, it must grieve Jesus' heart when he hears criticism or gossip. It must just really, it must just grieve his heart when he hears us ripping people off. It must grieve his heart when he hears people just seclude themselves and not want to be a part of the family. And I reckon there's a whole lot of us in our own families. We've got parts of us in our own families that sort of stay away from the family gatherings as much as we can. And that hurts when so-and-so is not at the wedding. Or that hurts when so-and-so is not at the family get-together. And I think that's the same here as well, is that when, when we stop meeting together, it must grieve his heart that, that people who are a part of the family aren't there anymore. I know that being on holidays this week, man, I would love to tell you that I have got children who just speak to each other in spiritual psalms and songs. <laughs> I would love to tell you that. And I would love to tell you that they finish their breakfast in the morning and they go, oh, and if, Ellie, have you finished with the milk? Let, let me put that away for you. <laughs> oh, mum and dad, would you like a cup of tea? Here, let me get the kettle on for you. I would love to tell you that I have three children that are like that. I don't. I don't, and I get paid to have children do what I tell them to do and fair income those three. <laughs> now, that hurts me as an earthly father when my kids just don't look out for each other or they start going each other. Man, oh man, our heavenly father, when we don't look out for each other, when we don't actually proactively act with initiative and in looking out for other people, man, that must grieve his heart. 
Like we're going to have people going out at 10 o'clock at night. And I challenge for me, because I believe in that mission stuff, because I used to do that once upon a time when I was a lot younger man. Man, those guys are going to need some water themselves. They're going to need a cup of coffee at night at 10 o'clock as they're about to kick off. And I think to myself, you know, part of the family would be, hey, I'll go and get those guys a coffee before they kick on. Because that's what a loving action is. That's, that's what common unity is. That's what families do for one another. That's what really the ultimate Brady Bunch type family would do for each other. And if we're united around Jesus Christ, well then how much more should we want to do that for each other? It then goes on to see that the world would see different. The world would know the Father because of our love for each other. When people come into this building, they should see something different. They should sense something different. One of the things that makes me happiest about what's going on at our school at the moment is that people say there's something different in this school. And I can say, well, all our teachers are trained at the same institutions. We're all trained at Newcastle, Avondale, or wherever it is that we are. The curriculum and the syllabus is still the same. That's all still exactly the same. All your extracurricular stuff is still the same. So what is different? Because you're telling me there's something different and you're thanking me that you've got your child back. So what is different? That difference is the Holy Spirit is present in our school and, and non-believers are starting to recognize that there's something special in that. We had families just last week say they want their friends from big fancy pants schools in Sydney to come and meet our year 12s because they're so different. And the only reason they can say they're so different is because of the faith element that goes on in our school. That is a beautiful thing. That is the mission of our school. That should be the mission of our church. People come in here and just go, wow, there's something different in this place. Man, they're all humans. We all look the sort of the same. You know, these Christians don't have two heads or webbed feet and stuff. Like We're all sort of the same. But there's something different in this place. And that difference is that actually when you live out the love of Jesus Christ, people just go, wow. And it goes beyond just being a nice person because there are a lot of nice people in the world. When you really, truly love someone, you're like you want to find out about them. Not just sort of a g'day, how you going? Oh, yeah, they were all fairly friendly. No one said anything too offensive. But actually... How are you going? How's things at home? How's things at work? Where are you at with things? And you're actually interested in that other person. And I'll tell you what, people will come to an incredible realization that church is a different place. There really is love abounding. And it is beautiful that that happens in this place. And my, my hope is that those people who have joined our church in recent times, that would have been your experience, that there is something different in this place. And that is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all in this place. And that is what we are living out. And hopefully that you're seeing that in action. He goes on to talk about attain the fullness of the measure of Christ. The fullness of the measure of Christ. Man, that's a maturing process, yeah? That's not just something that we're going to say, okay, we've ticked that off. We've done our, season on, we've done our series on Ephesians. Okay, we've ticked that off. We've all got the fullness of Christ. That is an ongoing journey, and it takes hard work. It takes hard work. You know, back in our verses there in Ephesians, what does it say? It says to be patient with each other, be humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. In Philippians, there's another classic passage there in Philippians, and it says, uh, if you have any comfort, if you've got any encouragement from being together, make his joy complete by being like-minded, have the same love, have tenderness and compassion. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider in humility, consider others better than yourselves, look out for the interests of others. That is hard work. I know I fail at that as a husband. And if I, if I fail at that as a husband with a woman I've been with for over 20 years, man, it's hard work when we're dealing with people we're not seeing that often. That's what we're called to. That's that maturing process. And it takes time and it takes hard work and it ta- takes intentionality. Like we need to be purposeful about doing that.
my brother and I growing up were really quite different people. I'm quite loud and my brother is very quiet. I'm pretty easy going. My brother likes to know what's coming up next, etc., etc. And he hates to lose. And he's a lot younger than me. He's nearly five years younger than me. So when we play cricket in the backyard and footy in the backyard, he would lose. And the toys would go out of the cot. I tell you, it was, uh, he had the temper tan. He's like, you can't believe. We couldn't play against each other. It just didn't work. So most brothers will play against each other. One will be Australia, one will be England, one will be Queensland, one will be New South Wales, and you play against each other. My brother and I couldn't do that because it just did not work. So I had to create this game where we played against the invisibles. And the invisibles would mean that it was us being, you know, Queensland, we were Brisbane boys, we'd be Queensland or we'd be Brisbane, and you would you would literally run and just fall over because you were tackled. And then you'd pass it to him. And then you'd do a little kick over. And he had beaten the opposition and scored. And we would commentate a whole game and play a whole game of football, getting tackled and kicking grubber kicks against no one. But we got on famously. And it worked really, really well. And when we played cricket, we'd be on the same team. We'd be both bat for Australia. We'd both bat for England. And we had to do this to make it work. And I tell you what, together, we were fantastic. When we played together, we were fantastic. Against each other, hopeless. It was awful. Terrible. We are better together. When we're not competing against each other, competition, comparison, criticism, those stuff, that affects Christianity. That affects us. And it's like white ants where it's just like we just think it's a comment here or there, but it just sort of niggles away and it gets a little bit of a way in. And the stuff with white ants, you can't see it happening until it's way too late. And some of that stuff just has a way of getting in and we need to be really intentional about living out this stuff. We need to be intentional about considering others better than ourselves. We need to be intentional about how do we bear with one another in love. We need to, we need to practice patience. At work, my uh, head of middle school says that I have a sign, a telltale sign. And, uh, and that is if someone says something that I really want to uh, uh, respond to, and not necessarily respond to in a really positive manner, he says that I, uh, my sign is I just go... And I purse my lips together and I breathe out or I'll get the pen and I'll, because I always have got a pen in my hand because I got ADD. And I will tap it against my lips and just breathe out. And he says, that's my sign when he knows that I want to say something, but I don't. And I know that I do that because that's stopping me from reacting in a way that I shouldn't do. You've got to work at this stuff. You've got to be intentional with this stuff. And it takes all of us. Like it is, united is all of us. It's a common unity amongst all of us. And if one of us, is not united in this, then we're all weakened. There's a story in Joshua chapter 6 and chapter 7 where they've just defeated Jericho. Massive, massive city, big walls. They marched around and the walls came down. There's a huge victory. There is celebration going on because they have just conquered this incredible nation. They are feeling good about themselves. Israel are back. We've won. We're the powerful nation. This is awesome. And then they've got to go up against this really minnow nation, just a no one. And they hardly need any troops. The one before, everyone was involved. This one, they hardly need anything. And God says to them, look, only send a few troops, but don't keep anything. Everything needs to get destroyed, obliterated, thrown away. Do not keep anything. And what happens? They lose. Be like the North Lake soccer team beating Manchester United. They lose. This minnow nation defeat Israel, who has just defeated Jericho with the biggest walls and the most fortified city going around. And in chapter 7, verse 21, there's a young guy called Achan, and he kept a couple of things for himself and hid him in his tent. And it turns out that that's the reason why they lost. 
we're all in this together. This is a this is a all all in type of occasion. We are all in this together. In Second Chronicles chapter fifteen, verses twelve to sixteen, the people they make a covenant with each other and a covenant with God. And we know how deep that is, is when I make a relationship, when we make a married relationship, we are in this together. We are going to stick at this. We're going to work at this. We're going to do this the best that we can. We're in this together. And the people in Second Chronicles, they did that. We are in this thing together and we're in it with God and we're in it for God and we're in it together. And that was, that was their covenant. And that's the covenant type of covenantal relationship that we should have here. Actually, we are all in this together. Be the church, go mission, we are all in that. We are all rock solid on that. Why? Because it's the Lord Jesus Christ and this is our church and we will do whatever it takes and we will be committed to each other and we'll be committed to God in all of that. I love that little statistic that says that a horse on its own can pull 2,500 kilograms. Two horses together can pull 12,000 kilograms. That's a cool statistic for those of you who like statistics. That when you double up, when you do it together, you are that much more powerful. It's incredible. Jeremiah 32, 39 says, I will give them singleness of heart and action. Singleness of heart and action. And that's what we're about. And that key word there is action. You know, Jesus was, uh, was criticised for being from Satan. And he responds in Mark three twenty four, where he says, Hey, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. We can't be divided against ourselves. We've got to be in this together. And a word I want to introduce to us today is a word called communitas. And communitas, it's a deeper form of community. It is much deeper. Communitas applies when there's that felt sense of close connection. In communitas, the individual willingly surrenders his or her will to a group. An example of that is in uh, the TV show Band of Brothers. I don't know if anyone ever saw that. But in a band of brothers, Easy Company, these guys in this company, Easy Company, they gave themselves up for their brothers. Their whole purpose for living was to keep the other guy alive. That was their purpose for living. I just read the book Unforgiven. And what Louis Zamperini and his mates went through together, together, it is not about me and my life. It's actually about my brother's life. It's about keeping my other part of, brother alive. That is communitas, where it's not about me. I'm willingly surrender my life over for the benefit of the cause or the other individuals that I'm there. That is communitas. Communitas is often found on a battlefield, yeah? You see William Wallace in Braveheart, yeah? Come on, they can take our lives, but they won't take our freedom. And men would just charge into battle even with no hope of victory. Why? Because they're doing it for each other. In Henry V, Shakespeare, Crispin Crispian makes a fantastic speech. Any Shakespeare lovers here? Oh, come on. Yeah, a couple. Hey? And he says, And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed, 
shall think themselves accursed that they were not here with us, and they will hold their manhoods cheap for anyone who speaks against those who fought with us on Crispin, Crispian Day. And the men, they rouse and they rally and they go. Why? Because they're in it together. It is not about them. They're giving themselves over. Communitas. Men who would otherwise have had nothing to do with each other were thrown together. The disciples were thrown together. Why? By their shared devotion to Jesus. And as they journeyed together, they develop a depth of a relationship that turned the world upside down. Communitas is what allows a tax collector and a zealot to treat each other as brothers. That is communitas. And that is deeper than community. Because it is now about the other. Communitas does not exist when we say goodbye to each other in a parking lot on a Sunday and uh, we'll see you next Sunday and then we do our world. That is not communitas. Communitas is it's all about the other person. Alan Hirsch has written a book and he says, Communitas is a community infused with a grand sense of purpose, a purpose that lies outside of its current internal reality and constitution. It's the kind of community that happens to people in pursuit of a common vision of what could be. It involves movement and describes the experience of togetherness that only happens among a group of people actually engaging in a mission outside of itself. We just heard this morning about go missions. That is a mission and a purpose outside of ourselves. Church does not exist for us. There are too many churches that exist with, oh, mission something we do, and it's, this, and it's this battle between outward and inward community. No, no, no. Community develops out of the soil, out of our heart for mission. That is what unites us. That is the purpose of what we're about. What are we about? We are about sharing the love that is Jesus Christ, that as every single one of us have received of God's great mercy, every one have received of his grace. And our mission, what unites us, is to share that same grace with other people who don't know that grace yet. It is in practical ways. It is in spiritual ways. It is to show love that this world would not show love. That is what unites us. That is the exciting thing about being a part of North Lake Salvation Army because we do not exist just for ourselves. And as we share together, my prayer is that true communitas would exist in this place. That what unites us together, band of brothers and sisters, is that we would join together. The life would not just be about me and not just be about us and not just be about our comfort and what suits us, our life, our mission would be as Crisp and Crispian called his brothers today to march into battlefield, as William Wallace called his fellows to go into battle, that for us, what unites us is to go mission. That is what our purpose for living is, is that others would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in exactly the same deep, personal, freeing way that we know the Lord Jesus Christ is alive in our life. And that was what would unite us together as we go forward from this day as we go forward living out the vision of this church to be, go, make, that is what unites us. We're going to finish this morning. We're going to praise our Heavenly Father this morning. I'm going to leave his place this morning singing his great praises. So have the band come and join us. Community is not about where we live, what we eat, Communitas is about the other person. And the other person in this situation are people who do not yet know Jesus. That is what unites us.
that we would be intentional and purposeful about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That Easter doesn't just stay a lovely thing with the beautiful services that we enjoyed last weekend and then we go on about our merry business. But Easter is actually our springboard to go and share the incredible good news of Jesus Christ. That is what going and making as part of our vision is all about. Let's stand and we're going to worship him this morning. We're going to sing praises to our Heavenly Father. Before we do, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your incredible love. I pray, thank you for the unity that you and the Father share. Lord, you call us to that same depth of relationship and we pray that your Holy Spirit would infuse our hearts and our minds. Your Holy Spirit would join us together, Lord. We pray that your unity would abound in this place in such a real way, in a dynamic way, in a live way that people would come in here and know that there is something different. There is something deeper. There's something not tangible, Lord Jesus Christ. There's something in the atmosphere. And that is you. That is your Holy Spirit at work in this place. Lord, as we move forward from this day, may our vision of this church to be the church not just be so that we're a nice, comfortable little group. May we be the church touching people's lives. May we be the church seeing healings. May we be the church seeing release. We started this year by talking about the keys, Lord Jesus. That is what unites us. That together we would take those keys and unlock the kingdom of heaven here in this place. I pray that we support each other in that, Heavenly Father. We, we call out for help when we need it. We look to those who need a word, Lord Jesus Christ. We uphold each other. That as Aaron held up Moses' arms so they could go about the business, Lord, I pray that in this place we would hold each other's arms up. We would support one another. We'd speak words of life and love and encouragement into each other. Your joy would abound in this place as we are united behind your grace. We are united behind your incredible sacrifice. And we are united behind the power of the resurrection. And we would take that as a group into the town of Newcastle and beyond this year, Heavenly Father. May your name always be praised. May your name be on everyone's lips. We give you a glory and honour in this place. Amen.